1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll pick it up in verse number 6, read through verse number 10, and then we'll jump down to verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Let's jump down to verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world. And let me just do a quick time out. That's you and that's me. We are indeed rich in this world, especially when you compare us with the rest of the world's financial situation. We are rich in this world. Not to mention the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, but the physical blessings that we have. We are rich in this world. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. And let's pray one more time together. Lord, we thank you for your word and how it deals with really every part of our lives. Again, Lord, the areas in which we don't mind talking about and the areas in which, hey, that's supposed to be off limits, but in your word, it's not. Lord, you care about every part of our lives. Help us, Lord, to magnify you in every part of our lives. And that's our prayer. That's our desire as a church and as individuals this year, that we would magnify the Lord in every part, including our finances. And I pray, Lord, that you would guide our thoughts now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, last Sunday we talked about magnifying the Lord with our time, if you remember that. And the events of last Sunday, especially in Los Angeles, underscore the importance of what we talked about. Being prepared for eternity. And making the most of the time that God does give us, because as the Bible says, Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. It was a healthy reminder for those of us who are still here to make sure that we are magnifying the Lord with our time. But today we're going to cover what some people consider a a somewhat touchy subject, the subject of finances. But yet, as we look at the Bible, and we look at especially Jesus and His teaching, it's interesting to note that of the 38 parables that Jesus taught during His earthly ministry, at least that were recorded, of those 38 parables that Jesus taught, 16 of them dealt with finances or possessions. In fact, out of... Uh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses in those books deal with the subject of stewardship of our finances. 
And so that means that almost half, 42% of all of Jesus' parables dealt with what we are going to deal with today. And so as a preacher, I feel like I'm in pretty good company. If Jesus could talk about finances, uh, certainly I have some liberty and right to do as well. Now, why would Jesus emphasize finances and possessions so much? Why would he do that? Well, according to one of the things that the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 6, our heart follows our wallet. Here's the actual verse, Matthew 6.21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, a lot of people think wherever your heart is, there is where your money's going to go. But actually, Jesus said, no, the other way around, your, fo- your heart follows your wallet. Wherever your wallet goes, so does your heart. Well, again, what's the big deal about that? See, the reason is the reason that Jesus dealt with our possessions so much is because God doesn't necessarily want your money. God wants your heart. And He knows if, if you're willing to give, then He knows that He has your heart. And that's what God is after most of all. And so today we're talking about how we can magnify the Lord with our finances. And, and so I want to look at three ways in which we can do that. First of all, in our text, I want us to see that we need to remember the source of our finances. To remember the source of our finances. Verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. It is the Lord who is the source of all the finances that everyone has ever had. James 1 and 17 says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Some of us may be familiar with the, uh, the hymn, the doxology hymn. And the very first line of the doxology, doxology says this, Praise God from whom all blessings flow including our finances. Psalm 24 and verse 1, the psalmist said, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. You see, the Lord owns it all, really. And He just gives us uh, the resources, the finances, uh, to be able to live and to be able to use for His honor and glory. Maybe when... Some of you who are younger, um, who when you were a little child, you would uh, see your parents go to the ATM. And all of a sudden, they would start getting money out of this ATM. And you kind of think, wow, I'd like to go and see the ATM too. And push a couple buttons and get money out. It, it, it must be that easy. Uh, as a little child, they think that the ATM is a source of all their money when really it's connected to your bank account, and the bank account there is the source of the money that comes out of the ATM. But as adults, sometimes we think that the source of my money is me. I'm the ATM. 
My job is the ATM. My business is the ATM. My savings account or my investments. But we need to understand this morning that the real source of all these blessings is God Himself. That we can't look at our job and say, well, this is the source of my income. No, no. God is the source of your income. No, no, I'm just drawing out of my retirement. No, God is the source of all of our income. He is the source. First Chronicles chapter 29, we actually read this uh, portion on Wednesday night as we met together for our prayer service and how David uh, prayed and blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And in verse 10 of First Chronicles 29, it says, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. And then he said this, Both riches and honor come of thee. Thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. And David was praying, and he's saying, Lord, you're the source of all the increase that comes into my life. There might be some who would say this, no, no, I see what you're saying, Pastor, but the truth is, I've worked hard for my money. I mean, the, the wealth that I've accumulated is because of all of my work, my labor, my blood, my sweat, my tears. No, no, I did it. To those, I would refer, refer you to Deuteronomy chapter number 8, in verse number 17, where the Bible says this, And now say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. So the Lord knew that there would be those who would say, no, 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 it's not you, God, who is the source. It's me. I worked for it. I, uh, all of my strength and all my power earned this income. He later says, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. Look, if you've had the ability to earn money and to accumulate some wealth, it's not because you're so wonderful, it's because God is so wonderful and so powerful. He's given you the ability. He's given you the opportunities. He has done it. He is the source. Well, since He is the source of all of our blessings, including our finances, that should propel us, of course, to live differently. How should we live according to that? Well, first of all, we need to live with contentment not covetousness. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 6 says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse number 8, Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. And he contrasts contentment in verses 6 through 8 with covetousness in verses 9 and 10. When he says, They that will be rich... Not those that are going to be rich, but those who purpose in their lives that they're going to be rich. This is what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to labor to be rich. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. 
for the love of money is the root of all evil. This is the ones who are coveting after more and more and more. Many people just think, if I just had this much money, then I would be happy. Well, listen to what some of the wealthy people think about money. John Rockefeller, a very, very wealthy man back in the day. He said this, I have made many millions. And this is, this is when millions really meant something. I mean, it still means something today. Don't get me wrong. But it meant even more back in those days when he was a millionaire. And he said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. W.H. Vanderbilt, again, a very wealthy man, and he said the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. Oh, but not me, though. Boy, if I had $200 million, then I would for sure say that there's tremendous pleasure in that. Oh, be careful. The Bible says... They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Can you feel this and, and understand this in what they're saying? John Jacob Astor said this, I am the most miserable man on earth. And this man was a very, very wealthy man. Henry Ford said, I was happier when doing a mechanic's job. Andrew Carnegie said, millionaires seldom smile. You see, we need to live with contentment, not covetousness, because covetousness never ends, does it? When someone gets what they have been working for and working for, then it's not enough. And that covetousness continues to grow. And the only cure for covetousness is contentment. A.W. Tozer reminds us this, money often comes between men and God. Someone has said that you can take two small 10-cent pieces, just two dimes, and shut out the view of a panoramic landscape. Tozer said, go to the mountains and just hold two coins closely in front of your eyes. The mountains are still there but you can't see them at all because there is a dime shutting off the vision in each eye. If we're not careful, that's what can happen to all of us. We begin to just look at the money and our focus is not on what it should be. It doesn't take large quantities of money to come between us and God. Just a little bit placed in the wrong position will effectively obscure our view. And that's why Paul said in verse number 10, the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after have erred from the faith and have pierced them through, themselves through with many sorrows. So many people think that if they just had more money, everything would be okay. Now, don't get me wrong. I think all of us wouldn't mind to have a little bit more, right? But if that's our whole purpose in life, if this is what we're after, 
And young people, as you get ready to decide what you're going to do with your lives, and you say, no, I need to have a job that pays a lot of money, be careful what you wish for. What many who do get money suddenly find is that things are indeed different. It actually gets worse. When Jack Whitaker won the Powerball Lottery Prize jackpot of over 314, almost $315 million on Christmas Day in 2012. It was at the time the largest prize won by a single winner in United States history. Whitaker was already a successful businessman, but the sudden windfall proved to be anything but a blessing for his family. Listen to this. Over the next decade, both his granddaughter and her boyfriend died from apparent drug overdoses. His daughter passed away. He was robbed on more than one occasion. He was arrested for driving under the influence. And he, has been, he had been sued by a number of people and businesses, including a Caesars Atlantic Casino for $1.5 million in bounce checks trying to cover gambling losses. If I just had more money, everything would be wonderful. Really? Love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Jack, if he could give a testimony here this morning, would say, please, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. See, the devil knows we are often susceptible to the temptation to take shortcuts to try to get rich. The path always leads to ruin. And so instead of living with a covetous lifestyle, let's decide to live with a content lifestyle. Secondly, we also need to live with confidence in your God, not in your gold. If you jump down to verse 17 of 1 Timothy 6, it says, Charge them that are rich in this world, by the way, that is again you and I, that they be not high-minded and thinking we're better than someone who doesn't have as much as us. Be careful with our pride because of our uh, financial status. Be careful of that, is what he's saying. But then it says, nor that they trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth richly all things to enjoy. Look, one thing about riches is they are uncertain. In fact, the only thing the Bible says is certain about riches is that they disappear. (laughs) Proverbs 23 and verse 4 says, labor not to be rich. Stop trying to get wealth. Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom, wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? And then Solomon, yeah, he said this, Riches certainly make themselves wings, for they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. I was reading a little bit this week about Mike Tyson, the great boxer of the late 80s and early 90s and how he accumulated $300 million. But then within a matter of just a few years, he was $20 million in debt. Blows all of our minds, doesn't it? But the Bible says it. Riches certainly make themselves wings. Fly away as an eagle toward heaven. 
Bye-bye. <laughs> so why put our trust in those things? Why live with confidence in our gold when we know it's going to just fly away? Instead, Paul says to Timothy to charge the people in the church there to trust in the living God who never leaves us nor forsakes us. Too many of us are trusting in our riches. God wants us to be trusting in our relationship with Him. So live with confidence in your God, not in your gold. You think about Job who lost all of his wealth in a matter of a few moments. And Satan would soon learn that Job placed his confidence in his God, not in his gold. You know, and Satan kept going before the Lord. Oh, I know why Job loves you so much. It's because you give him so much. God says, okay, take it away. I'll show you where his confidence is. His confidence is in his God, not in his gold. What about you? What about me? Live with confidence in your goal, in your God, not in your gold. All right, first thought here. Remember the source of our income. Next, respond with stewardship. Respond with stewardship. With, our, with the finances that God gives us, understand that we are now stewards over that. It's not ours to do just whatever we want to. No, we need to follow God's word and God's plan for how we manage those finances. Verse number 18 says that they do good. So he kind of lays out some uh, things in which we can, uh, he, he gives us the principles here of, of living with stewardship and responding with stewardship, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Here's, here's some ways we can steward our finances. First of all, we need to work diligently. Work diligently. Too many people are looking for the get-rich-quick schemes. You know, hey, I've got this business opportunity. I mean, you'll get, you know, within a matter of two months, you'll be making this much money. Be careful of those. The Bible plan, God's plan, is that we would be hard workers and that we would put forth the effort in order to gain income. Not that we would just take shortcuts and get all of these uh, riches in a moment. All of us are looking for those things, but we need to not look for those things. God's plan is that we would work diligently. Proverbs 10.4 says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Those who are just going to work day after day and doing and putting in the time and grinding it out and putting forth the work, those are the ones who are going to be uh, rich. Proverbs 12, 24. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. If we're not willing to work, you, you can't expect to be the boss. You can't expect to be the CEO if you're not willing to put in the time and the effort. Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Now, this is one type of fat you want to have in your life. Amen? <laughs> uh, you want to be uh, well off and, and be in abundance. That's what he's talking about here. The soul of the diligent shall be made fat. But the soul of the sluggard is going to always want more and always be in a place where he uh, has nothing. 
But those who are willing to work diligently uh, are going to have plenty. Well, this isn't just a Proverbs thing. Romans 12 and verse 11, Paul says this, Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We We should not be slothful as believers. We need to be the hardest workers that there is in our uh, company, in our workplace. Again, I would say, please avoid those get-rich-quick schemes. Uh, Part of that would be the lottery. Part of that would be gambling. And uh, one thing I've noticed here in Oklahoma, and especially in Montana, there were casinos aplenty. People would go and... And, uh, and, and, and spend a lot of time at the casino trying to get rich, thinking that if I just put a little bit more in, I'm going to get a big windfall. But be careful of that. Proverbs 28 and verse 20, A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. You can think you're an exception to God's word, but friend, no one has ever been and no one ever will be an exception to the principles of God's word. Respond with stewardship. How do we do that? We work diligently. Next, we transfer ownership. As I mentioned, God is the source of all that we have and all the finances that we have. Instead of saying, well, this is now my money to do what I want to do with it. Because God is the source of it, we need to transfer ownership back to Him. Because it ultimately belongs to Him anyway, whether we recognize it or not. But I'm just encouraging all of us that we recognize it and that we let Him be the owner. Psalm 50 and verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field of mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. He owns it all anyway. Let's give it back to Him because it rightly belongs to Him. And so transfer ownership back to where it really belongs to Him. Transfer ownership. And then I would say next, spend wisely. Spend wisely. 1 Timothy 6 and verse number 6 gives us the principle of this here, spending wisely. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And it's been said a hundred million times, but it makes sense to say it here, that you've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. Although I actually have seen a picture of one and said, there is one. (laughs) I think they did it just because of this statement. (laughs) But look, you can try to take it with you, but you can't take it with you. You know, people are so into material possessions and having the name brand and all of that stuff. But look, when it's all said and done, it's going to burn up anyway. So spend wisely. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then verse 7 I read, and then verse verse 8, Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. We were watching a show last night as a family. It was one of those house shows where they're doing some home improvement and all of that. And we were kind of blown away by the attitude of one of the, one of the people on there. She just was asking for the world and just was never happy with anything. And we were kind of like, 
wow, this woman is a piece of work. As believers, we need to live with contentment and not feel like we deserve to have everything that everyone else has. We need to spend wisely. Research indicates that most households tend to spend 10% more than their income, no matter what the income level is. So we need to learn to live with contentment and stop feeding the covetous lifestyle of our hearts by constantly comparing your standard of living with your neighbor's standard of living. Don't try to keep up with the Joneses or the Johnsons or the Smiths or whoever else you might be trying to uh, compare yourself with. Remember to live with contentment, not covetousness. So spend wisely. There are people who I've met who are struggling with their finances and and, uh, need help, and yet they have plenty of money for their brand new smartphone. They have all the money in the world for cable television. They have a beautiful car, but they don't have the basic necessities of life. Can you please help us out? It's like, your priorities are wrong. They're not spending wisely. An encouragement for us is to spend wisely. And then next, save regularly. Save regularly. Well, you don't have to spend everything you make. (laughs) Americans may need to hear that once in a while. You don't have to spend everything you make. Well, some Americans spend, as we mentioned, more than they make. But if you have leftover, it's not like, ooh, what can we buy? You don't have to spend it. You can save it. Proverbs eleven sixteen: A gracious woman retaineth honor, and strong men retain riches. So what God considers strong isn't how, how much you can bench. God considers strong is how much you can retain as far as saving. Ron Blue, in his book, Master Your Money, said that according to Social Security records, of Americans have less than $250 when they reach age 65. 85% of Americans have less than $250 when they reach 65. And they bank on the government to help them. And I'm thankful for some of those programs. I'm kind of banking on some of those programs being around when I'm 65 too. But look... We don't have to spend everything we make. We can save, and to save regularly is a wise thing to do. And then fifthly here, in stewarding, in in living with stewardship, we need to give generously. Verse number 17 again, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And here's the encouragement, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute ready to communicate. And communicate isn't sending emails. It's writing a check. It's financially giving. You know, giving to the Lord's work is not a matter of can or can't. It's a matter of will or won't. In other words, we will be faithful to give based on our willingness, not on our prosperity. Someone once said, it's not what you do with the million, 
if fortune e'er be your lot, but what are you doing at present with the dollar and quarter you got? Look, a lot of us say, well, I would sure be more generous if I had this X amount of money. Then I'll give. Then I'll be faithful to honor the Lord with the first fruits of our income. That's when I'll be into that. But right now, I mean, we're just trying to struggle to make ends meet. I wonder if the Lord will ever bless and get you to that point if you're not willing to give right now. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you. It doesn't say, upon the first day of the week, let those who feel like they can afford it lay by him in store. No, let every one of you, as God hath prospered him, So some are going to be able to give more than others, but we all should be giving that there be no gatherings when I come. This morning in your bulletin, you may have noticed there was a couple extra inserts. One of them is for you to take home and look at and to uh, apply to your life. And that's the very fitting color of green. Insert on reasons that we should be giving 10% or more to the Lord's work. Friend, I'm not... I know some pastors get a little nervous about talking about this. I really don't. I'm not after your money. I don't really care. But like God, I want your heart. And I know that if you're giving, your heart is here. It's not about the money to me at all, whatsoever. That's not it at all. Um, It's about your heart. Where is your heart? It's going to follow your wallet. And so I would encourage you to read through those 10 reasons, and and we we could spend some time doing that. We won't do that. I'll let you do that on your own. But live with stewardship, and the way to do that is by giving generously. Um, be a generous giver, particularly to the Lord's work, because that will matter for eternity. All right, number three, how can we magnify the Lord in our finances? Well, we remember who the source of our finances is. We respond with stewardship. And then number three, we rest in the security of God's promises. We rest in the security of God's promises. For those who decide to steward their resources and faithfully and generously and cheerfully give to the Lord's work, there are promises that we can rest in. I was uh, reading this this week in preparing for this. I read a story about this, this mom who gave her daughter a quarter and a dollar. I'm sorry, a nickel and a dollar. And uh, when they got to church, uh, her mom said, Okay, you give whichever one you want to give, and you keep the other for yourself. That's kind of a little bit of a test. Well, at the end of the service, um, mom asked the daughter, okay, which one did you give? And she said, well, the, the man at the pulpit said to give cheerfully, and I felt like I could give the nickel a lot more cheerfully than I could give the dollar. So that's the one I gave. I thought that was kind of cute. Again, God loves a cheerful giver, but he will take it from a grouch just the same. 
But for those who decide that they are going to give, there are some tremendous promises in God's word. And this is why I want to encourage you to give. Because it is good for you. It is, you put yourself in a place where God can richly bless your life. But if you're holding it back, you're really kind of hurting yourself. You're limiting what God can do in your life. Proverbs chapter 3. Most of us are familiar with verses 5 and 6, but it's interesting to note the context here. Proverbs 3 and 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. Oh, except for finances. Except with my paycheck. I mean, I don't have to acknowledge him in that, do I? Hmm. I'll let you answer the question. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and then he shall direct thy paths. Well, that's verse 5 and 6. If you go down to verse 9, so just a couple verses later, here's what it says. Honor the Lord, or magnify the Lord, with thy substance, and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. Again, not the leftovers. Not, let's go make a budget and see what's left, and then if there's something left, then we'll give to the Lord. No, with the first fruits, He's the first thing on the light item of the budget, is the Lord. Honor the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruits of all thine increase. And then here's the promise, though. If we do that, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty. And thy presses shall burst out with new wine. You see, God can take our little and multiply it. Do you remember the story of that little lad with the lunch that he gave Jesus? How God used that? And and boy, he gave a little bit, but boy, it just kept growing and growing and growing. God is able to do that when we give. Malachi chapter 3, this is a famous passage of Scripture to use In a message like this, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? The answer is, in tithes and offerings. And he said, ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. We won't get into that. But verse number 10, here is a great promise. He said, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, And then he says, prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. God's saying, go ahead, test me out. Prove me. I've never failed a test in my existence, and he has always existed. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. You say, why do... Why are you encouraging us to give so much, Pastor? Because I want you to receive a blessing that there's not going to be room in your life big enough for the blessing that God wants to give you. I want God to bless you greatly. But you need to put yourself in a place where He can. And the way to do that is by giving, by living a generous life. Here's some specific promises that we can rest in as we are involved in stewardship. First of all, God will supply your needs. 
Philippians 4.19, we spoke about this just a few weeks ago as we concluded the book of Philippians. Philippians 4.19, but my God shall apply shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And these, this is to the Philippians who were generous uh, to giving to the Lord's work. Remember, a reminder there, all of your needs, not all of your greeds. You say, well, I gave in the offering today and, you know, there's no Lamborghini in my driveway. Thanks a lot. God, you failed the test. No, you don't need a Lamborghini. But you may need health. You may need some of these other things that you can't buy. God promises to supply those needs if we are faithful to live and give generously. God will supply your needs. Next, God will give to you. It's amazing that God would want to give back to us. We don't deserve God to give to us, but He promises that He would if we give to Him. Luke 6.38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that you meet, with all shall be measured to you again. And if you were here when I talked about the ice cream illustration, instead of just putting scoops in, making sure it smashes in there and getting all the ice cream you can in that little dish, that's the way God gives back to us. He doesn't just kind of plop it in there and let all this air circulate all around that ice cream underneath. No, no. He smashes it down there. And says, here you go. Here's what I'm giving back to you. In other words, you cannot outgive God. Thirdly, your investment will reap eternal dividends. This is amazing. When you give to the Lord's work, you're investing in something that will matter for all of eternity. You invest in a stock or a, you know. The, the stock market, or you're involved in, in that type of thing. That's great, but the uh, rewards and the dividends are not eternal there. And they're not guaranteed either. Financial advisors warn you, and they have to disclaim that everything that you're doing here comes with some type of a risk. But when you give to the Lord's work, there is no risk. God takes account and He applies it to things that matter for eternity. Verse number 19, here it says, Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. So your investment will reap eternal dividends. And of course, Matthew 26 and verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither... Moth nor rusteth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Put your, someone said this, do your giving while you're living so you know where it's going. And when you're giving to the Lord's work, you know where it's going. You're going, it's going to, uh, it's going to heaven. And it's going to a place where you will reap eternal dividends because of it. So to me, when someone says this, Pastor, I can't afford to give to the Lord's work, my response is always, no matter how bad it gets for us, I can't afford not to give to the Lord's work. 
Because there are too many promises that I want in my life. I would really indeed be foolish to forgo these blessings simply because I don't want to give. Remember those of you who know a little bit about the Old Testament? Do you remember that story in Genesis chapter 22 when God, the Bible says, tempted Abraham and asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac on the mountain? Do you remember that story? Isaac was the promised son. He was the one in which, really, God was going to bring Jesus through that line. Isaac finally was born in a very miraculous situation. Abraham and and his wife Sarah were, were very old, well stricken in years, the Bible says, and yet she had a baby. His name was Isaac, the promised one they had been waiting for for so many years. Now he's a teenager and, and a strapping young man, much like myself. Just kidding. But God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to take him and sacrifice him there on the mountain. Unbelievable question and thing to ask someone to do. Any parent would struggle with that. But Abraham was in a different situation than most parents because this was a promised son. This was his most prized possession, if you want to say it that way. And in this, God was asking Abraham to sacrifice his most precious possession to show Abraham whether or not God was most important to him. That's why he did it. He wanted to see, God knew, I mean, God knows everything. He knows past, present, and future. He knew what was going to happen, but Abraham didn't know what was going to happen. And so it was good for Abraham to see that, you know what? The Lord is more important than this possession that I have. And you know, by by asking you to give, by when God asks you and I to give to Him, He's showing us whether or not God is most important to us. And as I've said several times, look, God's not asking you to do something he wasn't first willing to do himself. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his leftovers, didn't he? No, he didn't. Oh, he gave his very best. His only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave so that you can live with Him for all of eternity. But you need to place your faith and trust in Him for salvation. I was thinking about my salvation earlier this morning. And I was thanking the Lord for allowing me to hear the gospel. And then I realized, you know what? I heard the gospel many times before I came to Christ. And I suspect that there's several like that in here as well. Who they didn't respond to the gospel the very first time they heard it. But then I thank the Lord for slapping me upside the head, so to speak, and saying, okay, Eric, you've heard the gospel. When are you going to make the decision to place your faith in me alone for salvation? When are you going to do that? And it was then that day that I decided to do that. Maybe you're here this morning and you've heard the story of the gospel, but you've not made the decision to place your faith in Christ. Please, would you make that decision today? May this be 
the Lord trying to get your attention and saying, okay, you've heard about this, but when are you going to make the decision yourself to trust Christ alone for your salvation? I hope that you'll make that decision today because once again, no one is guaranteed another day. But for those of us who are saved, let's magnify the Lord in our finances by remembering who the source of our finances is, by responding with stewardship, and by resting in the security of God's promises regarding those who do live in a life of stewardship. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word and how it hits every part of our lives. Lord, this is an important area because, Lord, where our finances go, so goes our heart. And, Lord, you want our heart. You want to have our hearts close to you. And according to your word, the only way that's going to happen is if our finances are towards you as well. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember that you are the source of all blessing. And Lord, help us to live in a, in a way that would bring honor and glory to you, even when it comes to our finances, to trust you in, and acknowledge you in all of our ways, including how we use our resources that you have blessed us with. Help us, Lord, to be gracious and generous with our finances, especially when it comes to the Lord's work, to things that matter for eternity, to supporting missionaries, to giving to the Lord's work. Help us, Lord, uh, to rest then upon the promises of your word and to trust what you have to say to those who give. 